0: You're listening to Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes Wednesdays and Saturdays. Follow Hockey to Heroin on Twitter. That's at Hockey, the number two heroin for updates and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from.
1: Brady Leavitt, like any other Canadian kid, his dream was to play in the National Hockey League. Success came easily to Leopold as he began to turn heads in the junior league. A late pass for
0: Long, he's got Leopold with him! Long walks in. Sanders Goal! Leopold's right-hand shot, rotates to the 10-0 long back to Leobold! And here we go right off the bat. A fight ensues. And it's Lealold and Kerr, and they're both getting in shots. Now Leval throwing right after right and just connecting like crazy. Once I met heroin, I mean, it was just, that became my new passion.
1: What's the reason that young people who are athletes get addicted to heroin? They injure themselves, and they're more likely to be prescribed an opioid. And
2: once addicted, many are going to switch over to heroin because it's much more cost-effective. And the effects that they produce in the brain are indistinguishable. When we talk about painkillers, we're essentially talking about heroin pills.
1: Welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. Guys, this is episode number 33 course this is Brady Leibold coming at you guys from Utterson Ontario right in the heart of beautiful Muskoka I'm gonna take a second right now just to uh, you know take a brief moment uh, and just you know be thankful and grateful um, not just for where I get to live just for all the great people in my life today um, you know I'm just on a path of redemption and it feels so great um, and I just want to say thank you to everybody uh, for the constant support um, and all the just the the comments and social media, the phone calls. um, I love to connect with new people. You know, if you're struggling out there, there's help. If you don't feel comfortable reaching out to me, please reach out to somebody um, because there's definitely help out there. Guys, if you're listening, hopefully you're listening on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, you guys can check them out, the thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or anywhere on social media at HockeyPodNet. Guys, they have something like 40 different podcasts. Anywhere you live, whatever team you cheer for, uh, we have a podcast for you. Every NHL market, uh, there's a podcast specializing with each team. Uh, not to mention all the bonus content such as Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, uh, Tales with TR, a hockey podcast. Uh, another shout out to my boy Terry Ryan uh, out there in Newfoundland. Uh, check out his podcast, guys. It's great. He uh, had Shane Corson on recently. He's uh, you know, getting a lot of views um, and for good reason. So check it out. He's, of course, a former first rounder. Um, and he's very candid about his career not quite panning out and he's really funny so uh, definitely check it out and they have so many other great, great podcasts um, I think this is like the 7th or 8th episode uh, that I'm not recording in the Matthew Lashinsky Memorial Studio um, and, you know, I wish I was but I know I'm, it's, it's happening soon so if you've been following along you of course hear me talk about it all the time but if you're a first time listener i'm gonna tell you and that's the thing like i never know if this is somebody's first time listening so i need to keep telling this story uh matthew Lashinsky, he was born in 1987 the same year as me he was drafted by the Sault saint marie greyhounds of the ohl in the ontario hockey league uh, in the 2002 bantam draft uh he broke into the ohl uh at 17 years old he played parts of two seasons with them had some off-ice troubles um and uh, after his 18-year-old season, he parted ways with the Sioux for different reasons. And uh, from that moment on, he really struggled with mental health and addiction. And in 2017, uh, he passed away from an overdose. And I never knew who Matthew Lashinsky was. And uh, see, I never even had heard of this guy. And that's, to me, uh, really sad. Uh, because to me, I, I feel the hockey community is close. And of course, you hear about these guys that play in the NHL. It's, it's very prominent. And that is sad and tragic as well. But the sad case is there's so many guys at lower levels and not even just like lower levels pro or junior like just in the hockey community guys i feel uh... the hockey community is a family so like when i hadn't heard about the story I was almost disappointed and at the same time I realized that I was pretty in a dark pretty dark place these past few years so it didn't really give me much of an opportunity to hear about it uh, but I was super thankful that I did and I and I heard about it from a guy by the name of Matt Thompson his best friends with Matthew Lashinsky and uh, I shared this story before I'll say it again quickly he was actually off social media for like five or six years and he recreated his account around the same day I launched the very first episode of Hockey to Heroin the Road to Recovery Some and I, that was back on March 31st about three months ago, just over three months ago. And I had not been on social media in years under my own real name. I had a fake name for doing all my underworld garbage that I was doing and like not contacting anybody that actually cared about me or that I really cared about. It was just to fulfill my addiction and that kind of lifestyle. Um, So there I was back on social media and I started this podcast. Well, how the hell is anybody going to Listen, what did I have to do? I had to spam Facebook. So I want to apologize to everybody um, that I spam the shit out of. Uh, But you know what? I did. And guess what? Matt, it came across Matt. I ended up adding him on Facebook because his profile picture was a was a hockey player. If you had a hockey player as your profile picture, you were getting added to my Facebook account. And and in doing so, I've I've met so many great people, so I'm so thankful I did. And and Matt Thompson is now one of my best friends. So he shared this story with me guys and he's like, man. That's, your story sounds so much like my buddy but he's not alive anymore and, I, and he told me all about it and uh, from that moment on I was like this studio that I was building, I'm like this is now the Matthew Lashinsky Memorial Studio. And Matt came down, he helped me build it, like knock down the old chicken coop that I was originally just going to build and, and it's halfway built guys um, and he's coming back down in about 10 days to finish it up so I can't wait to get in the Matthew Lashinsky Memorial Studio and Matthew Lashinsky's parents are coming up guys uh, and I got we have a surprise for them and I'm really excited. Uh, so that's really exciting. Um, Guys you hear me talk about the Puck Support Foundation all the time and and things just continue to progress and we continue to grow Um, and you heard me talk about the press conference that was supposed to be taking place on the 9th of July. Uh, Unfortunately it was postponed uh, but it's still taking place (laughs) no worries there we are still uh, one of the main charities at this great event the world's longest hockey game at the Suitsina First Nations out in Alberta April 2021. So we're really excited about that. Uh, not only is it a chance for us to raise a lot of money for our cause, it's a, it's a chance to get out there and raise awareness for uh, First Nations reconciliation and a lot of great other charities. Um, at the same time, we get to get out and network and, and uh, meet a lot of new people and let them know that we're around. So to me, that's the most important thing: uh, getting out there and letting people know what we're doing so that we can actually help people. So that's really exciting. Um, I, before we get into the episode, uh, you know, I had a consultation yesterday uh, with a psychiatrist, and you know, I only did it because I haven't done it for a long, long time. And when I was 18, I was just diagnosed bipolar. Um, however, you know, I went to this consultation. I wasn't even supposed to get in till October, but there was a cancellation, and they called me and they said, "Hey, can you do it?" I'm like, "Absolutely." let's do it right so they got me in like three months early it was great I like made the call and was doing my consultation over video with a psychiatrist in North North York Hospital in Ontario Within a matter of days and it was great and so he actually told me I'm not bipolar but I'm actually ADD so I can't say I'm surprised Uh, however I've taken the last 24 hours to really think about it, and I'm going to wait till I get into the episode to talk to my guest really about this. But, you know, I made a decision about what I'm going to do, and uh, we'll, we'll get more into that, but that's kind of where I'm at. So I just want people to know that that's okay to get help, and, you know, we're going to talk about getting the right kind of help for you and, and following your own journey. And um, I just want to, uh, you know, say thanks to the mental health um community workers out in Bracebridge here in Ontario for for helping me out, they've been great because not only am I doing mental health, uh, counseling I am doing sexual abuse trauma counseling as well as addiction counseling and uh, so I'm building relationships with all three different sectors of this uh, this great program in Bracebridge. and you know it's just one facet of my recovery and, and I'm going and building in so many different areas and, and yes it's a lot but I'm just trying to figure out what's going to work for me so guys if you're struggling go out and get help it's okay there's no shame you know yes we all have our pride and our egos and all of that but guess what it's okay to get help. Um, You know, I had so many great people like Sheldon Kennedy, Theron Fleury, um, guys like that to look up to, Darren McCarty, of course. Um, So, you know, uh, I'm thankful that I had them to look up to and now there's guys like myself and so many others like my guests coming on and and our network that are doing a lot of the same things now uh, for the next generation Um, and it's really exciting. Um, quickly, uh, I want to give a shout out to my friend Tanner Wilshaw, in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. He's originally from Victoria. He has a podcast called The Final Shot Podcast. It's a it's a fighting podcast. We're mutual friends with Adam Braidwood, one of my best friends, is a professional boxer, uh, one of the top ranked heavyweights in Canada right now. Um, and I was on Tanner's podcast, uh, and he's uh, got a sponsor from a CBD company and uh, the vapes and. THC drops all that stuff and he told me like a couple months ago that he was going to send me some stuff and I haven't really talked to him much since then Um, and today I was sitting there with my girlfriend and we were just talking and I looked at the shelf and on the shelf there's a bottle of CBD oil and it's her mom's and I looked at Taylor and I'm like how much of this stuff are you supposed to take because i've taken you know uh cannabis products with high cbd content or higher cbd content than having zero i wouldn't say it's necessarily high um, but then you know taking like cbd gummies and that kind of thing but never the oil i'm all new to this so i looked and she's like i don't know so there's a dropper and i took kind of like just like half of what a full dropper was be because i didn't want to overdo it just to see what it tasted like in the whole thing so anyways Literally, And this is a true story. And Taylor was standing right there. 20 seconds later, no shit. I look at my phone and I have a message from Tanner Wilshaw. And he says, hey, bud, just want to let you know I just mailed you a bottle of CBD with THC and then a bottle of just straight THC drops because I know you want to get off smoking the pot. And I'm not shitting you. It's 20 seconds after I just like this is the kind of crazy weird shit that's happening in my life that I know I'm doing the right thing. Like, that was insane. Even my girlfriend, because sometimes I'm like, whoa, all this crazy stuff's happening, and my girlfriend's like, you know, yeah, that is. Like, it's all great and, like, all these weird things. But, like, and she kind of, like not downplays it but she hasn't been getting as excited about it as me obviously but even today she was like wow that was weird like so thanks to tanner he even sent me a picture it wasn't like he just said oh i'm gonna send it like the guy i like i haven't even talked to him in much he sends me a picture of the tracking number with the receipt like he sent it just out of nowhere he's like hey bud I just sent this to you and i'm like whoa that's pretty trippy and i called him and i was like yo i'm freaking out right now Anyways, let's get into this uh, episode, and of course this episode is proudly brought to you by Team Issued. Limited Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issue does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger, a community for all striving towards the same goal. Guys, check it out, teamissue.ca. You hear about me t- You hear about me talk about it all the time, um, and you see, if you watch any of my videos... I'm like a team issued walking billboard. That, of course, is my good friend's company, my former teammate in Kelowna with the Kelowna Rockets, Jesse Paradise. He was 16 when I was 20. Uh, and he was a great kid. And he's actually a financial analyst now at the University of Manitoba. He uses WHL scholarship. And he's writing his Chartered Professionals Accountant Test here in September. So we wish him luck. And, of course, he's got his company Team Issued Limited. Guys, check it out. They got snapback hats. Sweatsuits, jogging suits, activewear that's kind of like Lululemon. Guys, use promo code drag 15 to get 15% off your total purchase. Uh, and also, guys, every Sunday night, uh, we try to do it. I didn't do it last Sunday, but it might be every second Sunday. But stay, stay tuned on social media at Hockey to Heroine for updates. But go to hockeytoheroin.com to sign up. Uh, it be every second Sunday, team issued giveaways. Uh, we give away hats and socks, and uh, we'll have face shields coming up. So that's kind of cool. Um, so thanks to Jess uh, for helping out with all of that. And shout-ups to him in Manitoba. Let's get right into the episode. And, and, guys, I'm really, really, really excited. So let's do it.
0: A little scrap going on, though. Darcy Hortuchuk and Josh Gratton right at center ice. All right, both oh, these guys are all offense. I tell you, I thought Hortuchuk buckled him early, but Gratton came on strong. Cohen gave him a few back right on the button. Perfect time for Gratton to jump in right here. Perfect time, the bench gets going. The time and place is when you're down in a game. He gets buckled early there, and I give him all the credit in the world, how he kept his balance and kept going. hortichuk has been a tough customer for sure, and have been in a lot of major fights in this league, but that Josh Gratton just doesn't quit, does he, Todd Walsh? after him. Oh, I like that. That's a big play by Josh Gratton. Gratton winds up with a different partner. He's going now with McCarty, Darren McCarty. And then you got to know that Josh Grattan wants a piece of anything that's going on as well, because it's a good matchup. McCarty jumps in there and intercepts it, even though Gratton wants to know. Grattan knows during the course of the game that he's going to get a piece of McCarty, I'm sure, on the right side of your screen. And there you see all the action right there.
1: All right, let's do it. Originally from Brantford, Ontario, the home of the great one, Wayne Gretzky, current NHLer, Adam Henrique my former teammate paul shahura and current peterborough pete's goalie hunter jones who of course is a second round draft pick to the minnesota wild this guy's like a big six foot four goalie much like a friend of mine from childhood devin dubnik the current goalie from the wild this guy okay listen he got his start with the saint mary's lincoln's then he went on to the stratford cullitons then he broke into the ontario hockey league with the sudbury wolves he played also on the Kingston Frontenacs and the Windsor Spitfires. He wasn't drafted to the NHL, but that didn't stop him. He broke into the American Hockey League with the Anaheim Mighty Ducks affiliate, the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks back then. Uh, he really got his shot, guys, uh, in in Philly's organization with the Phantoms, and uh, he broke into the NHL uh, with... Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, he wasn't there long. He actually was traded to the Phoenix Coyotes. That's where, of course, he scored his first goal. Would have been a real cool experience for him. Um, but the majority, I think, he spent uh, mostly just with Phoenix, and then he made his way back to the Philadelphia Flyers. This guy, uh, between junior and pro guys, 229 fights from 2000 2001. To 2019 or 2018 2019, my apologies. Uh, over the course of his career, he's won two AHL uh, championships in 2004 and again in 2014 2015. Uh, guys, he's been playing over in Europe, he played in the KHL as well. Uh, his hockey journey's uh, been an interesting one for sure, and I can't wait to talk to him about that. It looks like he's transitioning into a different avenue of hockey. Uh, and it looks like he's going to be coaching with the Collingwood Blues from my research in it. That's also exciting. So let's get right into it. Uh, without further ado, former NHL tough guy, Josh Gratton. Thanks, Josh. Hey, thanks for
2: having me. It was some nice
1: work today. I appreciate it. Hey, man. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, this is the thing is a lot of times when I do this intro and I say it, the guy, a lot of guys say that that, you know, and that's the thing is, you know as you have a lot of great accolades like yeah you know what you weren't a, a huge goal scorer in the nhl or whatever but you were at the end of the day to make it in the nhl whether you were labels an enforcer or whatever people i hate the word goon i like the word guardian i've heard people say that but at the end of the day you could play hockey too like if you they're just in your day you just weren't those those days were over like all the tough guys could play and skate and everything else um but you know you had an interesting journey. You weren't you weren't drafted. Uh, what was your experience in the OHL like? Um, because we're hearing we're hearing a lot about um, different stories. It's and a lot of them are coming out from the OHL. How was your experience uh, in the OHL? Um, first off, starting as a rookie. Uh,
2: yeah, my experience was all, all positive. As a rookie, everybody paid their dues. Like we didn't have any of the hazing and like that. But. Rookies had to do, uh, do do the things that all rookies had to do, a, and that was just a norm back then. Maybe maybe some of the stuff they would get away with now, but you know, those are those are days. And in, in my opinion, and guys, boys, boys will be boys, and will stay in the dressing room. Have them in the dressing room. Stay in the dressing room. And it is, there was nothing, nothing, anything really had to, nothing, anything that really was a, a problem when I was a rookie. So I never had had my mind tainted in any other way
1: yeah and you know I obviously um have kind of the same experience as you uh obviously there's I'm not gonna lie. I went through some rookie initiation and I went through it worse than I would say I put through guys at nineteen and twenty because we just didn't do any of it when I was a bed. It was by that time they had kind of shut it all down, but even that, I mean, I hear stories and uh you know of you know guys like Eric Guest who's come out and I've uh, actually become friends with him and I believe I'm 100% and just from talking to him, I befriended him. However, I'm not saying that that's a prominent story and it, I believe it happened. Um, but at the same time, a lot of this stuff that was happening in the dressing rooms, like, you know, I think we, I know I just brushed it off as always as part of the hockey culture. And to me um i i was lucky in the sense that i never let it affect me in the sense too much but in the in the same sense when i listened to it like as a rookie um were you nervous in the dressing room uh personally, when you first came into the major juniors
2: uh personally i wasn't uh, at, at first i was just quiet but uh I, I definitely it's intimidating when you when you're a young young kid you can definitely be pressured into situations that you don't want to be in or you're uncomfortable in and try to and there's not much that you really can do as a young kid you don't wanna you don't wanna say anything and it's a, yeah it's a tough situation for myself I, I was fortunate enough that I had good veteran guys that, that taught me taught me the proper way I was with like a lot of NHL guys Jason Jasper the Fedorov fetter off. Fred, uh Derek McKenzie, like lots of good good uh veteran guys that, that made it it was a more of a pro pro uh team than than it was in junior. Like so there wasn't there wasn't much uh messing around and our coach was Bert Templeton that was pretty strict so we, I, I I can't really say what happened to other people but that year with us it was pretty uh, pretty straightforward there wasn't much happening with those guys so I was fortunate enough to have good good players around me that were good guys as well so
1: well that's good and I think that's gonna be the the um the uh the response that we're gonna get from from most guys it is a it's typically a, an extremely positive experience and it you know I know my experience in in Major Junior, definitely there was parts of it that helped me set up for real life, but then there's parts of it that I think hindered my ability to transfer into the real world, but at the same time, um, I think... You know, for a long time, I was like playing the victim role almost like, oh, I don't have hockey no more now. I can't do anything. And I like real, real, real shit. I had the ability at all times to pull myself out of it. And I think it's just hard. I think it's harder for some guys. But what, what point in time did you start fighting? Because I know your cousin is Chris Gratton um, and you have a pretty prominent hockey family. Like your brother plays and, and, you know, cousins and, and, you know, you guys all are, are good hockey players and tough too, right? so you had him to kind of look up to but were you fighting right from day one when you when you came into the OHL
2: uh pretty much I kind of knew I I knew it was going to get me uh get me noticed my family would tell me like you have to play hard both ways it was just the way the way I played the fights would come to me in junior I definitely didn't go looking for it but I was just one of those, those kids that didn't wouldn't back down from anything and it sometimes got got me uh tuned up once in a while but it, it taught me lessons that gave me respect it, throughout the league in junior B I was kind of kind of doing the same thing and I kind of got a reputation in junior B and then going into the OHL I wanted to do the same same thing and I kind of kind of did that but uh, it, it mostly was true just knowing the game of hockey but, but at that point they liked big tough guys in junior hockey if you were in a school scorer you had to be something different so now it's a little different it's a little faster game and you can you can get away with not having guys like that but every team needed somebody that would stick up for the teammates when i was 16 17 so i just tried to carve out a role that way to, to stay and get noticed
1: well yeah and it obviously it worked out for you and i i've seen a lot of documentaries and i've uh, spoken to a lot of guys and i was able to touch base with todd fedork and spoke to him for like 45 minutes on the phone the other day and I mean, he played, like, over 550 games in the NHL and, and had tons of fights, too. Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously, going into junior, and I can hear, like, you knew, and you obviously accept that role, take pride in that role, uh, and and regardless whether you want to or not, a lot of the guys, I know for me, like, I wasn't necessary, but I had, like, a, 60 fights in, I don't know, like, 210 games or something like that. So it's like a fight every four games or something. I was averaging pretty well. I wasn't fighting the caliber guys you were fighting, of course. But at the same time, um, it's still a, a few fights. And I, I don't know. It, it just it started to affect my mind in different ways. Uh, you know, you start thinking less about playing and more about fighting. And I, I think these guys, though, that, like myself... Um, naturally protect teammates and want to, you know what I mean? Be in that role and it just comes natural. Was that much the same for you?
2: Yeah, in a sense. Yeah. It just that, 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 that was well said because it, uh, it, whether you fight 60 times or you fight a hundred times or you fight five times, you're still fighting and you're still sticking up for your teammates. And I always said that to anyone that would stick up for, for a guy on their team and not do his, is unselfish. And if you put your body on the line like that every night, you're, you're an unselfish hockey player and you're a good teammate, in my
1: opinion. Oh, for sure. And you cannot really, you can try to teach that, but it's, it's something that, you know, guys either have, or you kind of don't have. Yeah. Uh, you know what was the transition like? Because you know you went from O H the O H L. You got traded a couple times. Um, you know from King uh, from uh, Sudbury to Kingston and then Kingston to Windsor. Uh, then you went. You broke into the American Hockey League. You were two, was that your twenty one year old season? Yeah. 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 So you're twenty one. You break into the American Hockey League. I think you uh, played a few games in the Coast too. Um, at that point in time. Uh, how much confidence did you have that you, one day you were going to make it to the NHL?
2: To be honest, I didn't even think I would make it to the American League when I, when I came out of junior. I had a good year. I fought a lot in, uh, in the East Coast. I got out of that league after about 30 games and never really looked back. And, I got i got an opportunity with the Cincinnati and american League uh, just the state got called up one game and they they never sent me back down so i just ran with that and then got a got a contract to with philly and i was just, uh, put the work boots on and went to went to philly and pretty much just tried to fight my way and get better as a better as a player and luckily we won championship that year so it was good
1: yeah that that certainly helps uh you know it, it's it's definitely rewarding and and everyone gets rewarded typically on the team um and the staff um and not to mention the bonuses are nice too uh, but uh so you know you're in the American hockey league now where is your head at what's your lifestyle like your first couple of years pro uh
2: you know you have a little bit of fun here but there's, there's never a like we lifestyle was just be pretty good for first year. Then there was never really any drugs involved, never really. But there would be guys drinking. Everybody would glow drinking on, on, on after a, a long weekend, a three and three games three nights or whatever. But it was just for fun. It was all fun. It was just lifestyle. It was just enjoying my first year uh, as a pro and and learning the ropes. Not, uh, not, not turning a blind eye to anything. Just soaking it all in as a as a first year
0: rookie.
1: Yeah, that must have been pretty, uh, pretty awesome, and yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, I mean, I played in the American Hockey League. I played some exhibition games with Tampa, and that is was pretty cool. But you know, even just playing exhibition game against the Detroit Red Wings, seeing those red jerseys, and, and then against the Rangers and stuff, it's just it was pretty cool. So I can only imagine, you know, getting to travel around that first year, and that's cool that you got that you soaked it all in. Uh, when. You know, was there ever a time that partying started to take precedent in your life? Um, and if so, when when, and why do you think that happened? Well, you, like the partying issues, I think, started for me. I, I've always had issues in a sense that I was never
2: enough. I would always uh, keep drinking and keep doing whatever. No off switch is what, what people would say to me. And, and I knew it every time. But I wouldn't start to, like, wouldn't be partying and stuff until the end of the season. It's probably after my second or third year pro, I went home and had had a summer of just getting into stuff that I had never really got into. And then it was just kind of down the road spiral. Every, every year it got, kind of progressively got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, that's just, it, it wasn't during the season at first. And then I started drinking during the season and partying during the season just escalated a lot quicker than, than anyone would would have thought.
1: Yeah, it certainly doesn't take much, um, and sometimes it can all unfold rather quickly before we even realize. Well, sometimes I feel like I realized it, but I didn't know how to stop. Um, I know for me, uh, was there? So, what year would that have been? Because I know you played. Uh, right. You played part. I think parts. Of what you played parts of four seasons between the Flyers and the Phoenix Coyotes. Yeah, uh, I know you. Uh, go sorry. go ahead Yeah, no, just so you know You played parts of four seasons, right? And once you have that taste of the NHL um, You know, trying to get back in there And I mean, was that a struggle? I mean, that must be hard for you to even talk about Because I know there's guys I've talked to that You know, once you have the taste of the NHL And then you got to go back to the American League Or even the East Coast League Like that can be yeah. Could that be hard? Was, was that a, a phase of depression for you?
2: actually yeah, that would probably be when a lot of a lot of issues sort just because you work all your life you finally make it to the nhl and you get sent down and you like you fought you all your way you've done everything that you have to do is get up there and you get get up there and then you get told you're getting sent down right so you get to go, go down the american league and you don't want to fight all these guys again you've already proved yourself and and you have to go back down and play third, fourth, five minutes in American like when you think or is it where you feel entitled, which I, I felt entitled, which I was definitely not. I, I was I was just young and immature, uh, thought I knew everything when I'd get sent down, and I would go down with kind of a little negative attitude and just just go go away from the rink a bit and uh, and self-medicate away from the rink, just to get my mind off it and then try and try to get back go to the rink and just. It was just a repeating the cycle over and over again. I want once you kind of cut the cord with getting chance of getting called up again.
1: Yeah, and that can be hard. You you made the transition into the KHL. What was that like?
2: Uh, I was good. I, it was it was all right. I, it was, I had a great time. The, the hockey was good. The, the money was good. and You know, I, I was there with a couple of a couple of good guys like Chris Simon, who. I'm sure everybody knows who Desai is. He's, uh, he was over there for a few uh, few years before me, so he kind of showed me the ropes there. Um, Darcy Barrow was there as well, and Brandon Suggett. So we had a good bunch of guys, but uh, um, hmm. those those probably those guys were probably not the best for me, in a sense, for like when I'm just in a different country. With those guys, like Chief was okay because he wasn't drinking, but we so had and and was there. He was kind of he was truly really like my drinking partner on I ran right there. So I'd go play, go away from the rink. We'd be drinking because nobody really knew what we were doing, so we could hide out and nobody go to the rink and no one would really know. So Russia was probably it was a good experience, but uh, probably not the best experience from not the best uh, situation for me when at that at those times.
1: Yeah, and I mean it can it can be hard too because you're away from home and you have a lot of downtime, right? Um, away from the rink and the the, <laughs> the language barrier, so you're pretty much just clicking up with the guys on your team and going out and, and drinking or doing whatever. Uh, you how long how long did you play over there in the K H L? How many? I was there for five years. I was in Kazakhstan for
2: three, which was good. I have nothing bad to say about that place. It was great. Had good guys there too. I was probably. Some of my better days that I had as a in the middle of my career there. So,
1: and, and so after you know your time in the uh, the KHL, I, I know you've you've played in multiple places, including Glasgow, is is Scotland. You played in. Yeah, that was my last year of the, uh, in the English hockey league here. And and what was that like? What's the hockey like in that league? I've always wondered.
2: Uh, you know what? it's not too bad it was it was faster than I thought it was gonna be a little more skilled, but the years before I was there. there was there there's a lot lots of fighters, lots of guys who really did fight there and so I was lucky enough that there wasn't that many guys it was flat uh the year I went there, so it was I got to play hockey and not have to worry about all the all the other stuff and so there, for me, it was great, and I just uh yeah, I had a good time there.
1: Well, that's, it's always important, you know, when I think especially playing in that type of role, um, getting a chance to get to play hockey again, because, you know, I can imagine, uh, you know, like you said, uh, I meant to bring it up before moving on was, uh, you know, you get called up, you're in the NHL, and now... You're essentially fighting for your teammates in the NHL and for the organization, and you were fighting all of the legit heavyweights, George George LaRock, uh, you fought my friend Darren McCarty, you fought Todd Fedoric, you're our friend. Like, you fought all these guys that were tough um, amongst others. There's other guys that are probably um, looked at as even t- tougher, maybe not than George, but I mean, like, you, you put your body on the line, and then they tell you, you know, basically that, okay, you're done. we're done with what we need you for, and now they send you down. And, I mean, it's, I don't know, man, I just feel like this is where, uh, it's not even just that situation, but I mean, it happens in junior, where guys get cut from a team, uh, or you know, in the East Coast Hockey League, it, around training camp time is so cutthroat um i've seen guys like almost drink themselves to death around train camp time because these guys bring in so many guys and then they end up cutting them and they have their families move there and uh, did you see a lot of that
2: yeah it's 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 a business so looking back on it i i, I realized that At the end of the day, it's going to happen anyways. But I, I I definitely could have been able. It would have been a lot better if I was uh, able to talk to somebody or had an outlet about it instead of having to put on a a, put on a happy face when you're really upset or you're. So you just go mask mask the pain or the the upset, being upset or whatever it is that you're uh, escaping. The reality is, and that's that's the problem about the when guys get cut or they get sent down, nobody knows their true feelings. And, and it's like, really, a lot of these guys work their whole lives or, or work. Maybe just work their bags off all summer and come in and, and it wasn't good enough. And it's really, it's really deflating and it's really tough uh, mentally to, to, to accept being, being turned down or being cut. It's just, you're, it just makes you feel like you failed. And then, for guys like myself, I don't know about everybody else, but I know for myself that it was definitely, uh, definitely disappointing, and it definitely led to a lot of negative thoughts in my in my mind for sure. You know, it's turned me to self medicating or just just to try to turn my mind off of it. Unfortunately.
1: No, and you're not alone. I mean, I did the same thing. I remember uh, there was a time. I went actually to Victoria in the East Coast Hockey League, and I actually trained so hard that summer for the first time in my life, but that was the summer I started doing oxys, and I didn't really know what it was going to entail getting off them, and I wasn't just doing a few oxys, I was doing like 12 to 15, 80 milligram pills a day, so it was like, it was insane, and I went over there, and obviously I went through withdrawal and um you know the team and it was right around the h1n1 time so i just played it off like i had h h1n1 and they basically sent me home because i couldn't even do training i couldn't even walk i was so sick but i didn't tell anybody because i was just maybe they would have got me help and helped me through it but i was just scared i didn't know and nobody knew i was doing it nobody really even knew and i remember when they sent me home i just remember the feeling that i had it was like uh i the only way i can describe it is when i used to think about dying as a kid i used to think about forever and i used to get this ringing like this like where i was just so like panic mode and like anxiety and like feels like the walls are closing in and like i almost fucking had a panic attack when that happened like i just had my second kid actually my third kid but i i still have never met the one because i was a coward at, at 19 years old however Um, You know, I just had uh, another kid, and both my kids were there. Just moved them, and then all of a sudden, this happens. And ultimately, it was my fault in this situation because you know I was doing the oxy's, but this is just one situation that's kind of different i seen guys that were just told they weren't good enough simply and and that was just my experience and, and it was just so overwhelming not having anyone to turn to not being able to feel like i could talk to anybody cuz what am i going to do tell someone and and tell them how like, cuz i literally cried my eyes out like i just didn't even know what the hell i was going to do you know it was scary and like so you know i don't think everyone's going to want to pick up the phone and call um, but I feel that we can reach um, organizations at the junior and professional level to encourage them, at least encourage them, that when they are, um, you know, <laughs> terminating the services of a player, whether in junior or pro or whatever, that they do it in a proper way and they offer, they set up, we need to set up some services, whether or not um, it's, you know, um, helping transition into real life or you know, I feel these coaches can do a better job finding another team for them before they let them go. I mean, let's be honest. If you're, um, let's say, um, in the Western Hockey League as an overager, and there's two, you have four and you got to get rid of one, um, but you played four years in the OHL, but now you're just not quite good enough to be an OA, um, you're definitely good to play in any Junior A League across Canada and likely to get picked up. But why wouldn't the coach from the dub team try to make that transition? So right when that player's leaving the office, at least he has a glimpse of hope and a new team. Like he could even talk to the new coach before he leaves the office. Hey, hey Josh, this is Brady Lebel. Really you know what? It didn't work out out there in Sudbury, but guess what? We're really excited to have you in Collingwood. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and at least, yeah, he's gonna be pissed that he's not in OHL anymore. But at least he has somebody that wants him, and he still feels wanted in the hockey world. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you in that sense. That would be just to hear, like you said, just to hear some hope, or hear that you're not not that you just got rejected, but there's still options, there's still hope to play on another team. You just, once you get once you get shut down or cut by a, by a team, it's it's really it's heartbreaking. I, I you, you you just put everything into that that and. You're, you're nothing you can do about it, right?
1: Yeah, and it's... And like you said, in, in times when, you know, especially when you've worked your ass off, and, and unfortunately, and I, and this is just... Um, I just speak the honest to God truth. I never... Um, worked my ass off and, and committed myself fully ever and I'm disappointed in myself, I wish I had a chance to do it again, I think everybody wishes they could redo things in their life, we always know better when we're older, um, but I just never, don't think, wasn't that I didn't want to or that I was necessarily lazy I was just so mentally ill that I was never able to, you know go to training every day or whatever because my my fucking mental health was all over the place like it was a basket case you know that's why i was inconsistent when i played hockey sometimes i'd be great get like a 13 game point streak and then go nine with no points and just be like super depressed like i don't even know what it was but you know that's just a little glimpse into into some things that can happen and i just feel that I I really feel that coaches and organizations can do a better job especially at the junior level and maybe at the the minor pro level because um yes there's a lot of options out there and the players of course could could reach out and find those options but sometimes those emotions can overtake you and like it could be like even you know in that hour after you getting released from a team or whatever um could be enough to, for a guy to go commit suicide or to go pick up drugs and it be a bad batch in lace or whatever. Get yeah. drunk and get in his car and drive and hurt himself or somebody else. Whatever the case is, where if we can minimize those, where if we eliminate the process, yes, we, if he we still has to be cut, it's a business. I understand it. But let's help the transition and help and, and provide them resources and options so that they don't feel alone. Because that, to me, is garbage um, and it's no one person's fault or team's fault it's just the way it's been and, I, and it's not I just really think that we need to make a change and that's gonna be uh, a main focus of mine through the puck support foundation but I want to get into um, where you're at now I mean obviously you you banged it out for the last fuck 20 years almost um, between junior and pro uh, how's your body feeling these days
2: uh, you know what I went through a tough time at the end of my career uh, I was getting the concussions so easier and easier and things were just were were slowly coming to an end where they should have probably ended uh, a couple years before prior and I was just hanging on and trying to keep playing and just because I had no outlets I didn't know what uh, I was going to do with the after the game so I would just keep playing because it's the only thing I really knew it gave me structure and and responsibility than a purpose to, to get out and go play in the morning or get out and go, go train or get up and go to practice in the morning. I had a purpose. And uh, looking back on it, I probably should have stopped after we won the uh, Calder Cup in uh, Manchester. But I kept playing three or four more years and just took more toll on my body and my mind. And It was just leading to more uh, more of a depressing, depressing state, just not knowing and scared of... Uh, at hockey ending right, so I kind of uh, I, I turned to again just just nothing good. Would, or nothing good was going to come out of what I was doing. I was partying, I was uh, drinking quite a bit, and uh, self medicating. And just just because I was more because I was with not feeling right with with all the concussions and scared of uh, what was coming up, what was coming next in the next chapter of my life. It was a uh, it was a scary time for sure.
1: It. Yeah, I'm. I know how it is too because I've had a lot of concussions. Um, a lot of them diagnosed. A lot of them not diagnosed. Where I played through and fought and got hit and everything else. Much like yourself, I'm sure. pretty you probably even more because you're you're fighting for a job at the NHL and now you're you're fighting playing through everything. Um, my I would assume. Yeah, <laughs> I'm assuming that you you're fighting through everything at the end when you're in the NHL. If you're getting your bell rung, are you telling the trainers?
2: Oh, not a chance. Yeah, you're 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 playing through. I, I probably had ten concussions before I even knew uh, where concussions were. I was wasn't. Yeah, I was getting my bell rung here and there, and I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't saying anything because there's someone waiting. and it's not in the lineup, foaming at the mouth to to start to to get your your job right. So you're playing through any any injuries that's for sure as a younger guy no no question
1: yeah and it can be dangerous um for sure and then you know you couple that with um not taking care of the concussion and going out and drinking after and everything else um and then playing again and getting hit again and then drinking again and then just not taking care of yourself again definitely take a toll so i i, I heard you say that you're feeling the effects um what are you doing for your recovery now? Where are you at? Uh, do you drink alcohol? Do you use drugs? Where are you at with everything?
2: Well, uh, up to about recently, about four or five months ago, I was in really, a really dark place. And uh, my, my best friend and uh, my girlfriend at the time came in. Uh, they just stepped in and got me out of town. They moved me uh, up to Collingwood, just uh, got me a place here. Got me, got me a job, and just got me, got me back to feeling and realizing that, that I, I, I don't need to be in that dark spot. And I probably wouldn't have even asked but they stepped in; it was that bad of a situation. And over the last four, four and a half months, uh, things, things have really turned around for myself. And um, I like, I reached out to a bunch of, a bunch of people. Riley Cote is one of them. They asked them about plant medicine and healing. And uh, just just because he's been through it all, and he's one of those guys that uh, would drop his would, would drop his hat, would come come for uh, come help me on, on the drop of the hat. Like he uh, he's always been there for me throughout my career, and this is uh, one of the, like, the m- most important time that uh, I ever needed somebody was through Riley and the plant medicine, and he uh, he mentioned uh, this stuff, psilocybin, the mushroom, and. Uh, Ever since I started taking that, things things have really helped and uh, just straightened me out in a sense it's cleared my mind up. And that, along with like eating healthy, working out, and just having a daily routine, it's, has has changed my whole life in the last four four months. And I'm as happy as I've been in years that I can really my, my mind feels like it's working. So it's a good feeling.
1: Well, for sure, and I—I I mean, I have you on social media. You look like you're like ready to play again. To be honest, you're—you're you're jacked, bro. Like you're in such good shape. You have every every picture, a uh, great big smile on your face. You can see that you're—you know. Finding happiness in your day to day just through the way, like anyone can fake a smile, but you can't really fake body language and stuff. And the fact that you're working, like getting out there working out, like you could see that your posture, you're up, like you know what I mean. That to me is you can tell a lot about someone, so it's like you know, you could fake a smile, but. You can't really, you know, you can tell when it's a fake smile, but like, you know what I mean. So it's nice to see. I don't know you that well just from the last little while. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you, man, for being a part. You were there. Uh, you you sat in on the last puck support meeting. We we all loved that. We talked about it after. Like, we're just awesome that that you were there, and we can't be happier that you you want to be a part of it because we're actually like we're doing so many great things. Actually, I talked to you uh, briefly about asked you about your native heritage because I mean. Uh, I, I saw a picture and you just happened to look a little bit native and I asked you um, and it was actually just you don't actually typically look a lot native it was just one picture with the long hair um, and uh, just you know I was we came across this fundraiser um, this w- incredible fundraiser through the Suicina First Nations and Wasey Rabbit uh, is uh, going to be there one of our main ambassadors and uh, you mentioned to me that um you are in fact part native but don't know too much about your culture so we've talked and we would love to to get you out there uh for that whether it's it's just like a 12 day long event whether i'm there for 12 days or not i have no idea but we're all going to be out there and who knows how many of us but it would be fun uh to get you out there for sure but at the end of the day we're just thrilled to uh to have you on board and if you're you're in Collingwood so that's really not that far from me man like I'm in uh, I'm in Muskoka so I, I don't know you're probably less than two hours away from me or, or two hours or so so I mean she can definitely connect it and all that but I want to talk briefly quickly more about uh the plant medicines and your experience with that so what was the initial reception like uh, from your friends and family um, and people around you when you told them? Um, do you and do you uh, use cannabis and hemp products and CBD and all that, or are you just strictly doing the the psy- where uh, you at? psilocybin the uh,
2: Psilocybin.
1: Um,
2: psilocybin. Sorry. Yeah.
1: No. Uh,
2: for one, my family is, is on board. Everybody that's around me is on board because of the the person I was before was it was a miserable uh miserable person and I've tried uh, I've tried everything to, uh, to change and since uh, so they haven't they, they see how hard I'm working and, and trying to just better my life and so they're all, all all on board and as for the cannabis uh side of stuff I, I use the CBD and that's about it just for sleep but I, I, it's definitely helped me a lot and with that and as, as for the psilocybin, it just makes me feel like I'm a lot more focused uh, in, in, in the moment. And they're just they're kind of help me not have those negative thoughts in my head. It just keeps me present. Uh, that's the best way I can say it. And, and I, I've been taking it probably for about six, six, seven weeks now. And every week seems to be getting better, better, or even in my mind. It's just uh, no no ups and downs. It's just it's just been pretty constant but that being said it's also a life a healthy lifestyle on top of that you got to be working out and, and eating healthy and sleeping so it's there's it the thing that i read when I was, young, I was just starting this whole journey yeah. is take your meds as in meditation exercise sleep and diet or diet and sleep so i, yeah, I follow that best i can best i can and that seems to be helping
1: I'm going to write that down right now, actually. I like that a lot. Um, uh, that's actually a really good metaphor. My favorite metaphor is uh, is uh, ego, which I like for edging God out. And my version of God might be different than other people's. Um, the way I look at God is, is just a spiritual, anybody that believes in something greater than themselves can be God as far as I'm concerned is just your ego gets in the way. And that's like edging God out and edging out your natural spirit and all of that. And I feel like when I embark on this journey and like, so through me, I I've been fortunate to talk to Riley as well. Um, And he's been on the podcast twice the last two episodes. And he um, has made me very conscious that, and I knew that I was misusing my cannabis um, but now I know that I'm strictly abusing it and um, it's certainly served its purpose to get me off the hard drugs. Um, but now um, I'm really starting to be conscious of it and I'm actually, you know, just going to try to take THC drops. If I even need that, I'm actually just going to s- try to do lower THC and higher CBD um, initially. Um and then try to just get off THC to see if I even need those properties for pain management or, or the other things that they bring. Um, but right now it's like, you know, I'm I'm hitting bong after bong and it's you know, and I do not I d I don't I don't like it. I don't like the way it makes me feel, I don't like the lungs. Um, but at the same time it's yeah, I just I, I can't even justify it to myself anymore. Like it's not hurting me. Um but now it's like okay. I want to get healthy i want to get my mind right so now i need to get that under control too right so it's not i'm not panicked about it and i feel like i'm going to work on that but with the psilocybin's i've been getting some kickback um and from the one person that i'm not getting kickback from is my dad my dad's supporting me which is wild i thought he was going to be like no that's a bad idea um but it just goes to show that you know he's up to date with what's going on and um you know uh, a few people are concerned because i'm an addict but like i've been doing research and it it actually helps with addiction too and uh the thing is is a lot of people don't know that you know it's been like 15 years of addiction 12 years of severe addiction eight years of like hell um and i've tried uh pretty much everything so you know i'm feeling really good about myself and, and hearing your positive experience and then having you know yourself riley and and um other guys like James McEwen as well to lean on it's it's you know, but like you said it, it's exercising and eating and diet is it's all of it right and yeah. if, if you're not doing all of it um you're not you're not you know it's not serving its purpose right
2: yeah that's that's the way I feel it, it all kind of goes hand in hand and it for for me uh, to hear that you're gonna be trying it I'm excited for you because i uh I really believe that it's helped me helped me and all benefit me in all, all sorts of ways so I'm excited to hear uh, hear your take on it moving forward as as, uh, as I'm sure I, I believe that it's definitely going to help you
1: yeah well I have you to thank actually because you've uh, you've put me in contact with uh, with your guy and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that we were supposed to connect today actually. Um, but it just, uh, it didn't happen. Um, yeah, because to, oh, sorry, go ahead. What's that? No, yeah, no go ahead. I spoke to a couple of doctors.
2: Uh, like this is, this is just like, uh, myself just how I'm doing it. I, I have doctors and, and proper, uh, proper microdosing kits as well. I should just wanted to mention that, that, that I'm not just doing this on my own. There's, has been medically, uh, talked to, I've talked to medical professionals about all of this too, so Yeah, that's why I'm comfortable uh, saying I'm talking about this.
1: Yeah, 100%. And it's monitored. And it's not... And this is the thing, it's... I love the way that Riley put it and it's so true that you look at the pharma care system or the pharmaceutical companies and they've just ripped off nature and then make us feel that that's okay because they've ripped off nature and they're making the money off it but, but then they outlaw the natural substances and it just doesn't make sense to me and people are so, I don't want to say this because I don't want to offend people but I mean I could be included in this too but they've brainwashed us. People don't like to hear this because people like to think that they they haven't been brainwashed, but that's what propaganda is. That's what the media is. That's what we have all been brainwashed, whether we want to realize it or not, by consumerism, by all of it. And for us to think outside the box, we're getting you know judged. For, I'm getting judged for it by some people, and and people are like, that's not a good idea, because that's why why because. The doctors are saying, some doctors are not saying it's okay. What about the doctors that are saying it's okay? And what about the medical professionals that are saying it's okay? You know what I mean? So the way that I look at it is this. Like, if we're going to stay rigid in our ways of thinking with medical, our medical practices, you know, how can we be that naive? Like, okay, then go back to 1850, have no electricity, no cars, no nothing, and just live and don't ever evolve, Like, we are evolving. This is part of evolving, like, is is finding new ways. And the thing is, is this isn't really evolving. This has been around way longer than all this other shit that they're making us feel that we should, that it's normalized. It's really fucked up, for lack of better terms. Do you not agree?
2: I do agree, yeah. I might have been a little tainted at first, or a little skeptical at first, but... I was to the point where it was worth trying anything. At that point, because nothing else was working, and I wasn't that. Other things weren't working. I shouldn't say I was just. it was worth a shot. There was no reason not to not to give it a chance. And I'm glad. I'm glad it has anyone that knows me and that's been around me has seen seen a total change and in, in, in behavior, attitude, just 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 more present and happy every moment, every, every time. And I've, I've heard so many positive comments from other people. So it's, uh, for me, it's been a game changer, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. See, and I'm excited too um, to get going on it and see. I get to see where people are concerned, um, and I can completely understand. But they don't understand that the mindset that I'm in is not, oh, I get to do... Um, I get to do these things and it's uh, it's a schedule one drug and I'm going to get high. No, it's a microdose. You don't even get the effects of being high where it's hallucinant. And I don't want the effects of being high. I don't. I'm already thinking that I... People aren't even realizing that I'm not... Um, that I'm realizing that I need to cut back on the way that I'm using my cannabis and that I'm realizing this. But And where were they... I, I just... I'm confused because why didn't they say anything to me when they're watching me smoke bong after bong after bong after bong? Like, is that okay? I'm not sure. But then I want to micro... At the end of the day, and we talked about this before the podcast, through text and you're like, yo, man, just do you and you're right. And I was already thinking that. But the fact that I'm like second guessing myself is like, but I'm not because I'm actually so excited and and excited for the right reasons. Like to get healthy. You know what I mean? For the first time ever. Yeah, I
2: I I, I support that, um, and I, I I personally think it's going to help you, and just because I've seen so many benefits for myself and other people around me and, and my circle of, of people that I hang out with or see on a regular basis, it's it's not a coincidence. So uh, really, uh, I really I hope that uh, you get as much uh, much benefit from from the psilocybin as I do because it's it's been a game changer, like I said.
1: So, what's next for Josh Gratton? I mentioned in the introduction, but I haven't actually confirmed it with you. But I heard you moved up to Collingwood, so that must be confirming what I've seen. Are you now the assistant coach of the Collingwood Blues? Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, I took it when I got up here, and after being here for the first little while, I kind of fell in love with uh, with Collingwood, and I got an offer to coach the assistant be assistant coach with the junior team and. And since then, I accepted it, and it's been it's been pretty fun so far. And we're just here and excited to get started. I also uh, just took a position with a with a hockey agency too, so I'm going to be working as a as an advisor and, uh, and and an agent. So trying to get some players over to Europe and, and to get some kids scholarships over over in the states right now. So we're just uh, I'm that that's just about to to. Sh- just take it, take off for me, and, and just get that sorted out uh, in the next week or two, and that uh, will be what uh, what I focus on moving forward is those two uh those two positions.
1: That's awesome! Congratulations! That's uh that's pretty exciting, and and again, that's you know that's gonna be key moving forward because now you know you have a meaning and purpose, and like you could find meaning and purpose in any old job, maybe. As a hockey player, but in my experience, it was really difficult, and I, I feel like being involved around the community of hockey or like a team involvement and just almost in a service position um, is gonna be the most fulfilling for me. And it sounds like it's uh, gonna be the most fulfilling for you, and um, that's exciting. Um, so where where are you guys at with uh, COVID nineteen and and what's the latest with uh, with the junior A league up in uh, Collingwood? So
2: as, as of right now, they're going to be uh, coming coming to get ready to go to school. So, like, all the kids that are billeting or in ports that are going to be here around the 15th. And uh, as long as there's allowed to be ten, a group of ten, 10 kids on the ice, then we'll just have practice one in one group and then practice the other until you can have the full team uh, practice. But I don't know about the, the games or whatever. they just because they got uh, Toronto there, a lot of teams from Toronto, and they're, they're usually a little... little uh, little longer with the stages so we might be able to practice uh, as a team together a little longer before the season gets started I have a little advantage that way but uh either way it's gonna they're gonna have a season and uh it might take a little longer to start but it's uh it's exciting exciting for everyone around town and uh, definitely exciting for myself to have a transition away from the game and get uh, still be involved in it
1: yeah, you get to kind of be the. For people that don't know, and I think most of my listeners know what the uh, the culture like is, or the, what the culture is like in a dressing room, as far as a coach and the assistant coach, and usually the assistant coach is the good cop, um, and has a, a different uh, sort of closer relationship with the players. Not all of them, but but in a lot of cases, from my experience, it was that way. I think these players uh, that are playing for the Collingwood Blues over the course of the next year, two, three years, however long you're there, are extremely lucky um, that they get to learn from your experience. Uh, I think it takes, you know, anybody that played pro or junior, anybody that played hockey can, can be a coach and be a good coach. Um, but I really feel that your experience is, um, you know, and now the journey you're on I just really and the people you're connected with, I, I really truly believe you're going to help so many people, so many kids, um transition um you know into their hockey dreams and then also not just that but into their you know their lives as well and then having you know getting to meet a guy like you and then having you to lean on for the rest of their lives like it depend you know what I mean like you just have those relationships and and these guys have the opportunity to get to know you and, and you get to share your knowledge with them so it's it's really quite it's a it's a beautiful thing right it comes full circle and you know you put in all this work and you put your body on the line and and it comes to an end and it can be sad but you know it's not over now because you know, all that experience, all of everything, hockey experience, life experience, now you get to share that, uh, in the next chapter with, uh, with the Collingwood Blues and, uh, wherever else, um, your journey takes you with the agency and everything else. So, um, you know, I'll let you go, but obviously we're going to be in touch quite a bit and we'll probably do this again, maybe, uh, once your season starts or I'll definitely have to come out and check out a game or, um, you know, come talk to the guys too, or, you know, just come check out, see what Collingwood's all about, because I've never been up there. Um, and you'll definitely, ha- you'll definitely have to come down to Muskoka and check it out one time too. So, um, anyways, Josh, listen, man, I, uh, I really appreciate you doing this, and I, I truly appreciate you uh, being there for me and and being a part of the Puck Support Foundation, um, and you know, helping me out in this uh, new journey that I'm about to embark on.
2: Uh, it's my pleasure i appreciate all the support and
1: uh you know you know, we're always sure you have lots of it's
2: a hockey community have brotherhood so you, everybody has uh someone they can talk to you one way or another so don't be afraid to, to be afraid to reach out
1: all right man well thanks so much josh um can't wait to do this again and uh we'll talk soon all right bud take care you too man Guys, that's episode number 33 in the books. That means 17 episodes to go until episode 50, which means Brian LeVold, my dad, will be joining me, and I can't wait um, to have him on and talk as hard as it may be. Um, Looking forward to it. It might even be a little bit embarrassing for me because I hope he doesn't hold back. Um, I have nothing to hide. I made a lot of horrible decisions and made his life extremely difficult. Um, But I'm just thankful that we're able to reconnect, out and that uh, I'm in the right direction. And and I'm just so grateful that you're supporting me, and I love you so much. I say it all the time, but I just can't say it enough, so thank you. I really want to say thanks again to Josh Grattan. um, such a great guy. Him and I have developed a relationship outside of this podcast. Um, and he's uh, been a great sense of support. Um, he's there to answer all my questions. Um, and obviously is, I'm super excited. We are super excited to have him, um, as an ambassador for the puck support and possibly even in a greater role going forward. Uh, guys, I want to let you know that I'm working on a new website. It's going to be um, launched, I hope in a couple of days, no promises, depends on how much time I have to work on it. It's just me doing everything. I'm not complaining. I love doing it. Uh, I just haven't had a whole lot of time. Taylor is really sick with the pregnancy. uh carrying our little girl, um, which uh, I spent a lot of time with uh, Hadley, Grace, and Lincoln, and I love it. It's just, I wish I had a little bit more time uh, to just work on the website and other things, but I know I will, and uh, I'm just soaking up every moment that I get to hang out with them, because they're little bundles of joy. Um, head over to hockeyderwin.com, guys. Uh, sign up for the Team Issued Contest. We do it every second Sunday now, guys. Sorry, not every Sunday. It's just, I have too much going on, uh, and I don't like to get behind on stuff. Um, we will probably give away twice as much stuff just do it like every second week you know what I mean um, it just uh, gives me a little bit more time to get caught up so um, bear with me guys um, if you ha- if you won and you haven't got your prize yet I'm I apologize um, they've all been mailed off now so sit tight um, if you don't get one uh, in the next couple of weeks, please reach out to me. Uh, my apologies just means that uh, for whatever reason, it uh, didn't get sent. But they've all been sent, um, and I really appreciate everybody listening. It's, uh, it's been a real fun journey, and I can't wait to see where it uh, continues to take me and my young family um, and uh, everybody involved. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I've met so many great guys, Uh, shout out to Todd Vedorek, thanks for the uh, conversation we had yesterday, Um, I needed it, I certainly needed it, Um, so thank you Todd, Um, and also thank you to Sheldon Kennedy who I spoke to two days ago for about 40 minutes, Um, what a wonderful wonderful human being this guy is. Just, yeah, such a great guy. So thank you to Sheldon. Thank you to Todd. Thank you to Josh Gratton and, of course, Riley Cote for all that he's done in the last little bit. I want to give a shout-out to my buddy, Mike Hengen. This guy is working his ass off, um, not only at his job 13 hours a day, uh, sometimes, most of the time, 7 days a week, sometimes 14 days on, um, you know, 13, 14-hour days. Um, Then he gets to go home and work on the Puck Support Foundation while trying to... uh, you know, spend time with his new wife and young son, Cashton, uh, who is just uh, such a little cutie. Just turned one. I can't wait to meet Cashman. Uh, but Mike, listen, buddy, I love you so much, um, and I am just so thankful to have you back in my life. Uh, we played together in the dub, and we hated each other as kids. But man are we ever good buds and to have you back in my life and we talk f- fuck 10-15 times a day um, but I appreciate you buddy um, and I appreciate all you're doing um, with the Bucksport Sport Foundation I know you're you're really good at balancing um, everything and that's why we wanted you in charge as chief executive director and I'm reminded multiple times a day why that was a great decision when I came up with it I called my dad um, not that I needed him to co-sign it but right away he did um, was one of the best decisions that I made, certainly for the Pucks Support Foundation. So, Mike, thank you, buddy. Your hard work is truly, truly appreciated. We're going to help a lot of people. Thank you also to Janet Hollick, Cooper Hollick, Carson Grant, Kendra J., Leslie from LP Events. Um, who else am I forgetting, guys? Spencer Meyer, Michael Urbaniak. Uh, Paul Rosen, who is also a new member of the Puck Support. Um, Jake Newton, of course, our Executive Director of Mental Health and Wellness. He's doing wonderful things for us, guys. We're building a team. Darren Darren McCarty continues to support us. Uh, He's incredible. Um, Yeah, guys, it's been a lot of fun. So um, that's it. Also, shout shout out to Matt Thompson. He was also in the meeting. Uh, and is uh, taking part in the Puck Support Foundation. He's, of course, the owner of the Maxwell Mustangs, a senior men's team out here in Ontario. We're going to touch base with the Senior Men's League, try to get the Puck Support Foundation in there because I believe a lot of these guys playing senior men's are um, fresh out of pro Um and sometimes can feel lost and get involved in the partying scene and get even more lost. And I don't want that to be the case. It's certainly not all of them, but there are some of them. And I want to try to get out there and let them know that there's, help, that there's hope, that there is light. I'm Brady Lebel. and my comeback will be greater than my setback. And remember, it's all about choices. So have a great day, if you so choose.